Hi, this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. And today we have Tom Jennings, who is a producer who's worked on a documentary on two famous UFO abduction cases. He spoke to anyone connected to those famous incidents. And my UFO week continues with Tom Jennings in just a moment. There is more Sci-Fi Talk, so stay tuned. Hi, today on Sci-Fi Talk, we have Tom Jennings. He is a journalist now turned producer of 1895 films. And there are two fascinating documentaries that are going to be airing on Discovery Plus. Actually, they're available now, which is cool. And they are on two of, I wouldn't say favorite, but the most intriguing UFO cases I think I've heard in my lifetime. Uh, Being that the people involved uh, are kind of credible people in my eyes. So... Tom, welcome. Uh, for it, first, it's the Betty and Barney Hill case, and then the Travis Walton case. What led you to do documentaries on both of those? Well, Tony, first of all, thanks for having me on your program. I really appreciate it. Um, I enjoyed very much listening to your episodes. It's kind of an interesting background that we have. I was a uh, journalist, as you said, a newspaper reporter in the '90s, and I kind of fell into doing documentary films uh, here in Los Angeles. It's a very long story, but I did. And uh, because of my journalism news background, most of the programming that I did was uh, history based or politics. You know, we just did like straight solid docs and um, occasionally we would veer off course and do other things. But one of the things we wound up um, Uh, specializing in is using archival material to tell stories. And uh, I love it because when you look back at some of this material from 20 or 30 years ago, 40, um, you start to think, you know, because I was alive then, uh, uh, I always tell my researchers, uh, what did I miss? What did I forget? And what have I never seen? And uh, (laughs) so that's kind of our mantra and a couple of years ago, uh, we've been uh, we had been doing some work for many networks, and uh, we were talking with Discovery, and I was put in touch with Travel Channel, which had been doing a lot of paranormal type yeah. of programming, and discussions with them, even though we weren't. Uh, you know, doing those kind of shows, they were kind of intrigued. You know, we worked this idea out together of trying to take the template of straight doc storytelling, you know, really refined blue chip and apply it to paranormal stories. And uh, so we started with them on this. uh, It was a new series at the time called Shock Docs. Yeah. And we did things like the true story of The Exorcist, which uh, many people think about the movie, but the story was about a boy and not a girl and it happened yeah. in St. Louis. And, mm-hmm. you know, and we did the true story of the Amityville horror. Um, and these worked really well. We did Ed and Lorraine Warren. And with all of these, there's a tremendous amount of archive. And so they asked us to come up with more ideas and we started scouting around for what we could find. And Betty and Barney Hill and Travis Walton, uh, obviously, as you know, uh, stand out in the world of uh, 
UFOs, especially alien abductions. And so we talked with Travel and Discovery Plus about doing that. And they thought it was a great idea, especially because both of those topics have incredible archival material. Uh, Not only things that are known, but things that haven't been seen in decades or have never been seen. So we ran with it and we produced these two two hour films. They just came out the other day, as you said, and they are doing really well and people love them. And our approach, just so your audience knows, is, hey, we're just this really happened in that this was a major news event at the time. Mm -hmm. You can believe them or not. But this is how everything went down. The format works, thank goodness. <laughs> so, yeah. so that's how we wound up doing it. Well, let's talk about the Betty and Barney Hill case. Sure. How I came in touch with it was, I think it was in the 70s, I saw a movie with the great James Earl Jones. Yes. <laughs> and Estelle Parsons, who played Betty and Barney Hill. And yes. what they did was they took the transcripts of the hypnosis sessions Right. And the actors acted it out. And it was very chilling. Yes, the aliens weren't, you know, state of the art, you know, makeup wise. And, you know, there were probably little people with masks on, honestly. But uh, but I, I did, the, the sessions themselves and because of the actors involved got me intrigued in the case. Reading about how you did this, you actually... Uh, have are in contact with their niece to make this documentary, right? Yes, uh, Kathleen Martin, the niece. Uh, she's a lovely woman, and she's written a few books about the case. And what's really wonderful about her is she was there. She was 13 right. years old when this all happened, old enough to kind of take it all in and uh, try and discern what the heck was going on. And uh, she really adored uh, Betty and Barney. And um, uh, she's carried on the story and continues to do her own research on the story with other people like uh, Ben Hansen, who's a noted uh, television host, used to be with the FBI. He's very credible. And um, what we were able to do, we found a a radio broadcast from 1966 um, uh, that was broadcast nationally, but I'm proud to say it was on the Alan Douglas show, which brought, which uh, home base was my hometown of Cleveland, Ohio. And Betty and Barney basically walk through the story as they knew it at the time. This was after the hypnosis sessions. And so we have um, their niece, Kathleen, telling part of the story. We have people like Ben Hansen telling part of the story. How good. Weaving in and out of that is Betty and Barney telling the story in real time, as if they sat down in a narration booth for us and told the story. So it really comes alive that way. And then when you mix in the hypnosis sessions, which we did uh, later in the program, yeah, um, it gets it becomes very haunting. Mm-hmm. And for me, I know uh, you've uh, been a fan of this story for a long time. I I was aware of this story. I I, I perhaps uh, I saw the movie. I do remember that from long ago. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, for me, and and 
studying it now and thinking about it before, you look at this couple, uh, Betty and Barney Hill in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and they had very regular, ordinary lives. There was nothing in their backgrounds that would suggest they would make something like this up. And uh, additionally, they, they didn't want to tell anyone about it. It was a newspaper reporter from Boston that heard from a friend of Betty's, and he wound up publishing this big five-part series. And as you can imagine, the whole thing blew up. And this was the early 60s. When the space race was going on, Sputnik had been launched a few years earlier. Mm -hmm. Everybody was worried about what's out there. And um, the story had more than legs. It had bionic legs and it just ran around the world. And it was the kind of notoriety that they really didn't want. And they, uh, after they saw that so many people were telling their story that weren't connected to them, that's when they decided, fine, we'll write a book and we'll tell our version. Mm. Well, what I think your documentary does, just seeing, uh, I haven't seen the whole thing, but I will since I do have the Discovery Plus, uh, mm. is uh, the fact that you have reenactors, but you'll hear the voices of Betty and Barney Hill. And I've actually had Mr. Hansen on my podcast years ago. So I know he's very credible because he used to have a show on sci-fi years ago. Right. Uh, so... <laughs> It also looks like you have, you know, people going out in the field and going to that area and doing some investigations as well. Yeah, uh, our film crews were all over the area at the time. We, uh, you know, used drones because everybody does these days. So you get the bird's eye view. Yeah, Uh, We filmed in and around Portsmouth. We filmed uh, uh, Betty and Barney's house that they lived in at the time. Uh, Thankfully, it's still standing. Wow. Um, uh, We, uh, you know, the big reveal at the end is that uh, the dress that Betty was uh, wearing, I won't give it all away, but the dress that she was wearing the night that this occurred is still uh, kept. It's actually on display at the University of New Hampshire. Wow. And uh, uh, Ben and Kathleen went there to re-examine the dress. It had been looked at, uh, as you can imagine, many times pieces of it had been cut out to try and test for DNA or other substances. And right at the end of the film, Ben finds something. You'll have to watch it to see. Wow. he thinks it's um, he thinks it's further proof that Betty was telling the truth about what happened that night. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, whenever we can get people out in the field and doing things, it just adds energy to a documentary. Sure. Instead of everyone just sitting around, you know, in front of their fireplace telling right. a story. Which is nice, but you know, yeah. uh, you know, if we can add uh, add them being active uh, and doing something, and in this case, Ben was uh, very generous with his time, and he went there with us, and uh, it's a very fun ending to the show. Definitely. Oh, cool. I, I might not be able to use this portion. I'm going to say now because it it is a, a a spoiler, but this is one of the things that kind of chilled me a bit at the end of the telefilm. Uh, Estelle Parsons with an alien is shown a map of where they're from. She asks him where they're from. And it, it is it is the particular, you know, star system. And 
this was a person that has no bearing whatsoever on astronomy. And that chilled me. And it was like, how does somebody make up something like that when it's a known star system? So, um, so I, I can't use this because you might have it in your special, but. Oh, it's in there. Yeah. It's it's not the big reveal at the end. Oh, okay. Uh, Okay. So I can talk a little bit about it. There Betty had in her book created this map that she was shown by one of the aliens that had taken them on board this craft and uh, listening to Betty tell the story and then her niece as well, they have a very pleasant, uh, uh, Betty and the alien have a conversation and um, Betty says, well, where are you from? Where did you come from? And he points to some distant star galaxy universe. And uh, Betty remembered what the map looked like. And she drew it, you know, right away and then used yeah. it when they published the book. And in 1975, a very bright uh, school teacher in Ohio uh, looked at this map and was trying to recreate it in three dimensions, which is how Betty described it. It was wow. it was like a 3D hologram almost. Mm. And um, the teacher could she did she uh, made 14 tries at trying to figure it out. And it wasn't until uh, the U.S. government put up uh, uh, published a revised star system map where they had further refined what they were able to see in the sky at the time. Yeah, that it kind of unlocked the whole thing, and suddenly Betty's map made a lot of sense, and the school teacher from Ohio got a uh, quite a bit of notice because she cracked the code on where these aliens supposedly came from. So we found the archival interviews with uh, that wonderful school teacher. And that's part of our program. Oh yeah. It's fascinating to hear her talk. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very chilling to me because it it is, you can't, you can't make that up. Cannot make it up. How to, you know, how a person completely unrelated to the story 14 years later in Ohio, not New Hampshire, uh, figures out this 3D map that was published in the uh, mid-1960s. That's cool. I never heard about that, so that makes it even more chilling. To yes, me. it's it's crazy weird. As they yeah. We'll have more with Tom Jennings. The next case is the Travis Walton case, which is another right. famous case. Now, I did see the film Fire in the Sky. Yes. I thought the, um, the alien abduction scenes were almost over-sensationalized. And um, and different from what I heard Travis tell it. Mm-hmm. And also, I thought also it was towards the end of James Gardner's career. And he was kind of made more of the central figure more than Travis was. Although I, I like D.B. Sweeney. I've always liked D.B. Sweeney. But, um, but yeah, it just seemed to kind of, the shift of it kind of lost a little steam for me. And then it kind of left you saying, oh, maybe this really didn't happen kind of thing. So it, it almost kind of tried to debunk the whole thing. But, um, you know, it's uh, what I think is interesting about your documentary is you also concentrate on the witnesses that were there with him, his logging crew. Are, are, were you able to talk to some of them? 
we were all uh, able to talk to all of the ones that are, who are still alive. Right. Oh, and, yeah, sure. uh, to us, they're I mean, they all tell the same story, uh, you know, they and they haven't wavered from that story uh, since it happened in the mid 70s. And we have Travis Walton and his uh, brother, uh, a, was it his cousin? Uh, and more importantly, uh, kind of the emotional tug of the story is uh, his girlfriend, Dana, at the time, who's now his wife, that has oh, always stood by him. That's good. So we have all that. We have the daughter of the sheriff that was investigating that. You know, we got everybody that it was involved on some level mm-hmm. and they all tell fascinating stories about what happened that night out in the middle of the woods near uh, snowflake, Arizona and uh, how Travis went missing, how the crew was first suspected of murder because uh, you know, uh, the sheriff isn't going to believe that he was just uh, spirited away by an uh, alien aircraft uh, there was no sign of Travis anywhere. And then he shows up 30 miles away five days later at a phone booth and there's no explanation for it. Yeah. So and then they all took polygraphs, uh, which uh, they passed, except for one of them who uh, I, uh, he, he is now deceased. But he passed the first two. They gave them three tests, each one of them. It took about two hours each. And he passed the first two and he was so like, well, I'm not doing this anymore that he wanted to rip off that, you know, they put the, the breathing monitor around you and these electrodes to monitor yeah. your sweat and heartbeat. And so he failed that one. But according to the uh, uh, other crew members that we spoke with, he failed it because he was sick and tired of answering the same questions. all hmm. over again. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's amazing. Did you get a chance to compare other accounts that Travis gave compared to yours to see if the story changed at all? Uh, from what Travis said, no. The tra- we found uh, uh, Travis decided to go public uh, right. because yeah. the story was getting out. And he started doing uh, news, you know, solid, straight news interviews. One of the first ones he did was with NBC News. And we found that. And the story that he told then and then over multiple interviews over the years and then the story he told us has been the same all along and same with the crew members. And they were, uh, uh, as you can imagine, uh, you know, uh, a logging crew in a small town in Arizona that goes on to infamy uh, for having witnessed an alien abduction, they're great characters and they tell a great story, but the story is consistent all the way through. Hmm. And their family members uh, back them up on that. And what's hmm. fascinating is, you know, when it happened, the town of Snowflake and, you know, worldwide, but especially their f- friends in town and p- even people they didn't know, all thought it was either a hoax or they're making it up or, you know, their logging contract was expiring and they didn't, they weren't going to get the job done in time. Right. Well, after all these years, now the people in Snowflake uh, look at them with great respect and think, you know, maybe something did happen. So the, um, uh, the tide of public 
opinion in that area and in their lives has uh, done a 180. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're obviously very pleased about that, but uh, they did suffer for a long time with humiliation. Sure. No, that was it was very brave of them to do what they did. I agree. I believe that. Um, One thing I think people will see is their special effects. And I, I saw like the craft in the Betty and Barney Hill was recreated. Is that from the actual descriptions? Yes. It's wow. very close to the, uh, yeah, we, we followed, you know, our, our, <clears throat> fortunately the uh, person who does our computer graphics is also one of our producers. It's a passion of his. Oh, cool. He has a ba- yeah. He has a background in video games and decided he wanted to do document, oh, uh, which is good for us. And so the crafts that are recreated in both films match the descriptions that were given. Well, we don't do a Hollywood version of what we wish it to be. Right. We match it to the actual descriptions. So, yeah, they, it looks pretty good. Well, I, I have to ask this because of my curiosity, but will we see the aliens depicted in any way? Yes, in both of them. Okay. Um, yeah. And what's odd about it, and, you know, some of the doubters say that, uh, uh, you know, Travis may have been influenced by Betty and Barney Hill's story from 15 years prior. But uh, what they describe are, um, in both cases, the now familiar grays, yeah, the aliens yes. with the very large eyes and mm-hmm. kind of the uh, egg-shaped heads and uh, very small bodies. However, in Travis's story, he said there uh, they were... Uh, putting this very large device on his chest. They were holding him down. Uh, there was another type of alien that uh, actually could communicate with them. And they were tall and blonde. And these are called the, the Nordics, which I was unfamiliar with. But uh, Ben Hansen educated us all on the <laughs> Nordic alien. Uh, but the grays were seen in both stories and then a different type of alien. The Nordics were seen in um, in the Travis story. And by the way, before I forget, there is a big uh, uh, reveal at the end of this with Ben again. Oh, cool. Going out to the site where mm-hmm. Travis uh, and Travis goes with him for the first time in in uh, decade or more, Ben makes a discovery uh, about something at the site that is further evidence that something really strange went down there. Oh, wow. You'll have to watch it to see. But it's it's when he when he showed us the evidence and we have it on camera, it's like, huh, that's really weird. Why is that the way it is? All I'll say is it has something to do about the trees. Oh, okay. Okay. The, uh, the trees never lie. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, they're, they're two fascinating cases. They've lasted this long for a reason. Uh, well, primary is nobody's been able to debunk them. So they were. They, no, you know, and you know what's going to tell you too is that, um, you know, the, the more, you know, the more advanced we become, you know, the more our ability to witness what's going on in the skies, both yeah. far away and here, the more credible their stories become. You know, recently we had the Navy pilots uh, tic tac video where they're flying. 
Amazing stuff. You just look at that and think, these guys aren't making this up. You know, they're military. And for that, you know, they wouldn't want to throw away their careers on just like creating a hoax. And there's so much more of this that's being revealed. Yeah. That um, you have to start to wonder uh, what's really going on. And Travis said it best at the end. We interviewed him at the spot. And he said, you know, the more we study space, the deeper we go out there. And, you know, it's so limitless right now. He said here on Earth, there's a, a great hubris in human beings to discount even the possibility that something else is going on out there. It's just too vast. And so he encourages people to have an open mind about the whole thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. No, it's uh, I love the movie Contact. And uh, oh, yes, there's a line in the movie. Well, that's an awful waste of space. Otherwise, you know, <laughs> and it's yeah, true. I, I've done a, a couple of interviews about these uh, um, uh, already. I was asked something just a few days ago. You know, there's this great interest in space now, uh, not so much from the government, but, you know, Elon Musk, Jeff oh, Bezos. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the next goal is to colonize Mars or at least get there with human beings. And they, oh, they, we, were, we did a film about the Mercury astronauts from oh, National yeah. and oh, Disney yeah. Plus. And yeah. we found all this great archive of, hmm. you know, the world stopped when John Glenn went around. Uh, I, re- I remember that. I actually it, remember that. But, you know, uh, Grand Central Station, we found images of thousands of people crammed in there watching how they had a large screen TV at the time. It was almost like a movie theater with yeah. Walter Cronkite. Oh, yeah. And, um, so this person, yeah, so the interview was about the Mercury program that we did. And uh, uh, the person I was talking with noted, you know, the world just stopped, you know, and it stopped again on the moon landing. Oh, it sure did. Yeah. And maybe Apollo 13, but not, you know, that was definitely an American story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, we've had things like the Challenger disaster, but mm. it, it still wasn't the same of, of what happened in 1961 with John Glenn and 69 oh, no. moon landing. And so this person asked me, you know, uh, if we uh, will getting to Mars stop the world like it did then. And I said, you know, with our uh, all our technology now and communication tools, um, I don't think it will. I think people will be fascinated. They'll wonder if the astronauts going out there will survive. And he asked me, what would stop the world? And I said, first contact. Would oh, stop. yeah. Oh, yeah. Most <laughs> definitely. That would do it. That would that would do it to find uh, out that, we're not alone and have proof. Yes. I mean, because it would turn all our beliefs on their head. Totally. Yep. But I think it has to be that big yep. to stop the world now. I, I really do. Yeah. Even uh, the, the astronauts from Mars on the uh, morning shows ain't going to do it. No, I don't think they're broadcasting live on the today. Sh- it's no. like, uh, okay, sure. But if we, if, we find some craft with uh, alien beings on it. 
The yeah. world will come to a screeching halt, and I don't know what will happen after that. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's going to be something. But yeah. these are two fascinating documentaries, and uh, I'm glad you did them. Uh, what's, uh, what's on the agenda next? Oh, well, we have several things we're working on for various networks, History Channel, uh, more with Discovery. We have, uh, we're kind of reverting back now at the, uh, 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 at the direction of Discovery and Travel Channel to look at more uh, poltergeist kind of stories of which there's many. Sure. Uh, and there's several with great archival material, uh, recordings uh, with people who have no reason to lie about various stories. And so we just keep mining. The, it's kind of like the last uh, scene in Indiana Jones, you know, where it, it's just like the Ark of a Covenant disappears. Well, there is so much out there that we've yet to find or hear or see that uh, we're having a lot of fun doing these types of programs. Uh, but I think we're turning back earthward for a while and uh, telling stories that have happened right here. Mm-hmm. Just one last thing. Has it changed your perception of the universe a little bit doing these and these type of yeah. things? Yeah, I, I, I don't know that I was a skeptic. I always try and keep an open mind. Um, I think having really... Uh, dug into the archival material. I, I have a, such a strong and better understanding of both stories, not just kind of like the glossed over pop culture versions. Right, right. And to hear the real individuals tell their stories, especially Betty and Barney Hill, with such sincerity and with no motive that anyone ever found, and the fact that they didn't want the story made public and a reporter convinced somebody to tell them what was going on. Uh, My sense of wonder from doing both of these has greatly expanded. I'm willing to, uh, I'm very willing now to accept the fact that uh, whether people want to believe these or not, uh, there's uh, something genuine about both the stories and uh, until uh, there's proof that they were fabricated, which no one has ever really found. um, I'm leaning towards, I believe them both. Well, they have withstood the test of time as they say so far. Certainly have. So they're good. So two interesting specials on discovery plus check them out. Thank you, Tom, for being again on the podcast. It's been fascinating talking to you about these two. For Sci-Fi Talk and UFO Week, this is Tony Tolado. Thanks for listening.